My name is Dr. Michaela Keegan Yadley, and I've spent the last 17 years of my career in schools as a teacher and principal. I started the Dissect Ed podcast to help you by using my strengths of connecting and relating to bring amazing guests to you each week. We will cover a wide range of topics related to all aspects of and roles in education. My goal? For you to enjoy and feel successful in your role so we keep amazing teachers and leaders in schools. Thank you for all you do. Take care and enjoy. This podcast episode is brought to you by the 3D Printing Man. Get everything from custom food bowls for your pets to chore lists for your family in more than 15 vibrant colors all custom designed. Visit his store on Etsy by searching The 3D Printing Man, all one word. Again, that's The 3D Printing Man on Etsy and get 10% off with the code DISSECTED. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of the Dissect Ed Podcast, Creating the Change that Teachers and Students Need. During Season 1, which kicked off this past July 2021, we focused on burnout prevention and management and the challenge of self-care, and what small or large things teachers and leaders could do to take care of themselves in this unprecedented school year. As the season went on, it became clear that while there are things we can do to take care of ourselves, we've reached a point where more is needed structurally and from educational leaders, decision makers, and policymakers in order to halt the burnout educators are experiencing and prevent more from leaving the already understaffed profession. I'm making good on my mission to keep teachers and leaders in their positions in schools because they feel needed, valued, supported, challenged, and effective. And we are blowing open the dialogue on just what educators are experiencing right now, what leaders need to do and or already are doing to truly support their staff and raising this dialogue to the highest levels of decision-making. This is both honest and raw, and meant to drive towards solutions and change. Our students are too important for us not to take care of the people who are closest to them in school, their teachers. So let's break it open, friends, and get to problem solving. I'm thrilled to kick off the season with today's guest, Beth Pandolfo. She authored an opinion piece in Education Week about a month ago where she identified the unique struggles teachers are facing this school year and outlined some pretty simple solutions school districts could implement now that would make a big difference. When facing complex challenges, such as the one that exists in schools right now, especially in regards to staffing and the educator experience, it's important to be specific and solutions-oriented and Beth is both those things. I know that if you're an educator listening, you'll feel validated by listening to this episode. And if you're in a leadership position, you'll definitely want to hear the recommendations we discuss because most of them are pretty simple to implement. And for the bolder ones that I recommend, I'd argue those are easy to implement too. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is a new season of Dissect Ed, and honestly, it is one that I am really, really excited about and energized for. We are starting our season with Beth Pandolfo. She is an instructional coach for grades 6 through 12 in a New Jersey public school district and an adjunct professor of remedial reading at a local community college. 
She's taught English at the high school and college level for over 20 years, and her passion is to support the social and emotional well-being of both teachers and students in order to create the foundation for powerful learning experiences. She's also the author of I'm Listening, How Teacher-Student Relationships Improve Reading, writing, speaking, and listening. And her second book is coming out in 2023. You can learn more about Beth and her work at BethPandolfo.com and follow her on Twitter at Beth Pando, uh, Pando, which I definitely recommend you do. Um, and I'm going to link that in the episode notes and repeat it again at the end. As if that weren't enough, um, Beth also had an article, an opinion piece that was published in Education Week Uh, recently in October, and the title was Wellness Can't Just Be Another Task for Teachers to Do. That's actually how I became familiar with Beth, um, because I I read that and I said, I have to speak to her. Um, As you all know, my mission through the podcast is to provide resources and support for teachers, leaders um, in the education space so that we keep them in their roles because they feel fulfilled and supported um, and challenged and needed. And right now we're missing some of those pieces. So without further ado, Beth, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm just really, really, really grateful that you made the time to be here today. Thanks, Michaela. I'm happy um, to be here. Yeah, thank you. I know that, you know, you, obviously as we're going to as we're going to outline today, you have a lot on your plate. There's a lot going on. Um, but I also think that um this is necessary in order to amplify the conversation and bring it to the level that it needs to be at because we're at a, a real critical point. Um, and so I'm really just going to jump right into it so that our audience hears more from you than they do from me. Um, The focus of this episode is really to identify specifically um, what teachers are experiencing, what people in schools are experiencing, and how it might be different than prior years, like what's different about now. And um, in addition, as we weave through this conversation, what I think listeners are going to hear us talk about is that the teaching profession is in a different place than other businesses. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. Um, and you're going to hear, sorry, you're also going to hear our dogs in the background, of course. Um, but you're going to hear us refer to this phrase, business as usual. And we're going to talk about what that means uh, for teachers, especially today. Um, and hopefully by the end of this episode, you won't have to wonder why it is so hard to understand what teachers are experiencing, and you will have actual um, examples and tangibles that you can um, actually then understand. So, Beth, the article that you wrote was captivating, and hopefully um, our listeners have been able to read it. If not, I will be linking that in the episode notes as well. Um, But the first thing that I pulled out of your article, again, where you are, you know, putting out there that being okay should not be falling self-care shouldn't be falling squarely on the shoulders of teachers. And you said, um, quote, I do have a problem with the pursuit of wellness being placed squarely on the shoulder of already overburdened educators. Can you tell me more about that? What What do you mean when you say, um, the pursuit of wellness being placed squarely on the shoulder of already overburdened educators? Because I think, a lot of people outside of this space, or if they're not in schools, may not actually really understand what that means. Okay. 
Okay. So let me think. So when I wrote the article, it was sort of just a mounting frustration mm-hmm. of school being business as usual in a way that I found staggering and thought, am I the only one who is noticing this disconnect from how it really is and that we're proceeding as if it's business as usual? Mm-hmm. And then I guess I was seeing on social media, you know, you know, teacher wellness, you know, attend this webinar from 4.30 to 5.30, you know, on a Tuesday. And I thought, who could do that, you know, after school? And, you know, this real focus as if, you know, in order to do this job, you also needed to, on your own time, pursue wellness. And I thought, you know, how is that becoming, it already feels like we have so many extra jobs just trying to teach, you know, during these challenging circumstances. How is it also that now nobody, you know, nobody's going to change anything at the school level, at the district level, at the state level, but in addition to do this job, we're going to acknowledge that you're probably going to need to pursue some additional wellness avenues and also do that on your own time because nothing else is going to change here. And I guess I was feeling, you know, really frustrated by, you know, I don't need after work for someone to tell me to breathe and drink water and to walk for 20 minutes. Um, Nor do I need to feel like the fact that my job, you know, and I'm an instructional coach. So again, I'm not in the classroom and it's, you know, much more difficult for classroom teachers, but, you know, in order to, I know I lost my train of thought, but sort of in order to do my job mm-hmm. that I need to do this extra thing just to be able to come to work. And that and just I, didn't make sense to me. And I can tell you, you know, so the same thing um, has resonated with me for, I'd say for a couple of years, uh, even pre pandemic, um, because as, as a principal, I was a uh, principal through June, 2020. Um, I had made the decision to leave uh, the principal role in October of 2019, but uh, I knew I was um, you know, dedicated to finishing out the school year, helping my school transition to a new head of school for the following year. Uh, and then COVID hit in January. Um, and so, I mean, I'm sorry, in, uh, in, in March, but starting in January, I finally opened myself up to like trying to figure out what was next. Cause I actually didn't know what was next. And I signed up on LinkedIn and like started reading articles, right? I hadn't read like an article outside of education in a while. And so like I signed up for like Forbes.com updates and just from everywhere I could. And LinkedIn sends some stuff too. And I just kept seeing these articles, um, little, little quick articles about what companies either were doing or should do, like these best practices to ensure their employees were well. Um, and none of it included as something from 4.30 to 5.30, you know, anything. It was all stuff that was happening during the workday. And, and even more than that, it wasn't just because, oh, we want to be nice, warm, and fuzzy to our employees. It was because it impacted the bottom line. Um, and it made every single article, oh, it makes employees more productive, more productive, more productive. And I, I remember saying to myself, did I miss something? Because... Um, how come this isn't happening in schools? I saw my teachers stressed out. I saw that I, I myself was burnt out. Um, and so, you know, that for me was pre pandemic, never mind post pandemic, what you identified as far as like, you know, Hey, take the zoom wellness, whatever from four thirty to five thirty. to me is insulting. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I, I will say it's insulting because I'm 
at the same time, I am reading, especially now, uh, more and more about what workplaces are doing for their employees. And this, um, like, it's, it's so diametrically opposed to to what is not being done, um, you know, for, for teachers. So I share in that frustration. I will be, uh, I will share my true feelings about that. And um, so I, I share in that with you where I feel like we're left out of the, of, of that um, altogether and that other companies are not expecting that wellness takes place, you know, after work hours. Yes. And it felt to me like a tiny band-aid on a, you know, a gaping wound. Yeah. That also you were going to put on yourself after work. <laughs> and I think what also it did is, you know, breathing and drinking water and exercising for 20 minutes a day, it doesn't fix the larger problem. So I think that was, yes, everyone should do that anyway, mm-hmm. in general, during a regular school year. Um, but not just so they can make it to work the next day and not also that there should be some shifts during the workday to make it so that you can, you know, drink your water and do your breathing and, and, and move, you know, separate from, you know, get some relief from the workday. Because there are some things during the school day that are hard that I think that, you know, I guess I'm really trying to assume that everyone is doing the best job that they can, mm-hmm. you know, at a district level and educational leaders and mm-hmm. teachers are doing the best job that they can. And then part of that is there's just a disconnect when people don't know each other's perspectives. Right. You know, so there are some very hard things that teachers are dealing with that are just maybe not known. And maybe sometimes you can't know them unless you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe you can't know it unless people tell you. And, you know, I don't know that teachers are often empowered to, it sounds a lot like whining. When it's not whining, these are real, real struggles that there is, you know, that can be solved with some sort of nuanced understanding and some changes. Absolutely. Um, I think that there are actually even more uh, solutions than you'll, than we'll even get to further in this episode when you, you know, from the ones that you mentioned in your article to ones we'll talk about today. Um, just having talked to other, you know, school and district leaders, there are more bold moves that, that can and should be, should be made um, in order to, to actually truly support um, teachers. And, um, you know, you mentioned that uh, it's difficult to um, assess the wellness of a teacher uh, based on their ability to do the job without a complaint. So like, we can't just wait until a teacher comes to us. Why do you say that? Why is it difficult to, to assess it just by waiting for a teacher to say like, Hey, I need X, Y, or Z. I think that teachers Part of the art of being a teacher is being mm-hmm. able to show up for work, regardless of what's going on in your home life, with a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. I think part of being a teacher is being able to deal with extraordinary circumstances, like a student has a breakdown in the middle of your class, and you basically sort of, you know, get them to where they need to be, and then you pop back in your classroom and you say, okay, everyone, let's get back to work. So I think that you can't assess teacher wellness by them doing the job well. I think you assess teacher wellness by who's retiring early, who's taking a lot of sick days. Why mm-hmm. are so many teachers going out on medical leave or kind of any kind of leave? Why is no one signing up for committees? 
Uh, why is no, why does no one want to do the morning duties? Why does no, because people are, so you're seeing it in these small ways um, that can be misinterpreted, you know, oh, nobody wants to volunteer this year. No, everybody's at capacity, but nobody is saying it because teachers are really good at pretending things are okay because that's what you often need to do for your students. Every time something happens at home, you can't bring that to school. That's part of the job. So I think this idea that we're doing okay, and I'm not speaking for everyone. I think some people mm -hmm. probably aren't doing okay, but I know a lot yeah. of people are not doing okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that they, and, and the people that I know that are not doing okay, they look pretty amazing this year. They <laughs> yep. really do. They look amazing. And part of it is also job security. You don't want anyone to know you're struggling and not doing well. That's not mm -hmm. a comfortable thing to tell your boss. So right. a lot of people are putting on really a very brave face and doing, you know, the best job that they can. And I think the other part that's kind of, you know, we'll talk about the things that are really hard for teachers this year, but I think in teaching, and, I, and this is true for me, that it's very tangled up in who we are. Like you said yeah. at the beginning, oh, it's been a long time since I read an article that's on education. It's very tangled <laughs> up in who we are. And when it's tangled up in who we are, if we know we're not doing the best job that we can, it makes us also feel bad about ourselves. Absolutely. And so I think that teachers are dealing with really hard things. And I think also they feel that they're not, because of these hard things, they're not doing the best job that they can for their students. And then that makes them feel badly about themselves. So I, I think that's sort of an additional problem. People don't go into this profession to get rich. Right. You know, they yeah. go into this profession because they care about kids. They have something to offer. They care about contributing to society. Yep. Um, and so you're putting, you know, these well-meaning people in, you know, like difficult circumstances with no accommodations. And I guess also there are a lot of, you know, not to diminish what healthcare workers are going through and, you know, but just we're talking particularly about, you know, teachers. Mm -hmm. So, cause I do know there's, you know, there are lots of people that have to go to work, you know, mm -hmm. under difficult circumstances. And, you know, I am hopeful that, you know, their organizations are building in, you know, something for them. And I think, you know, and even things that aren't just sort of hard, but even, you know, teachers are struggling like when they should get their booster shot because they know they had side effects for the last one, right. but they're worried about, I don't have any sick days because my yeah. kids are young and I've used all my sick days. Yes. And, my student, my kids, they flipped to virtual and I had to stay home with them and all of this complicated and then sort of contemplating not getting the booster shot. Yep. And it's thinking, no, no, you're no, like, let's figure out how you can get the booster shot. Yep. And, you know, so these are things that nobody is kind of thinking about. So I'm not saying like, oh, just sort of teachers need extra sick days for general wellness, which I do think they need that. <laughs> but if they're not going to get that, how about like a booster shot recovery day if you need yep. it? Yeah. Um, or how about a pool? And if you're in the pool of teachers and I maybe I'm fine after my booster shot, so I'm not going to grab one of those days. Mm -hmm. But maybe someone else was downed. So, I mean, I know, you know, what most teachers are doing is you're planning which weekend you could potentially tank mm -hmm. so you can come to school on Monday. And it, it just feels like, could that be built in? Because this is really important because you know, if we want to stay open and not have closures, it feels like let's, you know, prioritize vaccination and vaccination isn't just access. It's also for some people and for many people, it's recovery. It is. Some people, this, this booster, and you know, you know, you can't come and teach a class 
if you're really physically not well and can barely be upright. So, um, you know, just that's just kind of a basic, basic, you know, thing that people are struggling with that seems it should not be a struggle, you know, to con and I've had plenty of teachers that were talking through scheduling when they could get the vaccine that it won't interfere with, you know, their personal yep. life and then so they can get back to work. And, and some people feeling it's impossible. I think that I'm just going to have to wait till winter break. And it's like, yep. well, that's not, that doesn't feel like that's the answer. Nobody should be waiting till winter break if they don't have to, if it's just a yep. matter of, I don't have any sick days. And yeah. I, I, you know, I'm committed on the weekend because my spouse works on weekends. So I mm -hmm. can't be down on the weekend. Yep. No, absolutely real challenges. I, because I have myself experienced and heard the same. One thing I really want to hit on that you, um, that you, that you expanded on was not relying on, you know, teachers coming to you and saying, I need, I need help or something's not okay. Or thinking that you can judge or one can judge, um, how well a teacher is by appearance. And you talked about like looking at actual, I'm going to call it data, like um, how many sick days is somebody taking, uh, especially if they don't usually take that many sick days or um, how many people are going out on sick leave or stress leave, uh, how many are leaving the profession. And one that I really, you said, and um, next week's guest who is a superintendent said the same thing. And then I said the same thing to myself in September. So now we've got three people from very different parts of the country in very different roles, all um, noticing the same, um, I'm going to call it a metric or a data point is uh, around teachers is that um, after school, it, it's the, at leaving school when the bell rings, leaving school when it's over. Teachers, uh, unlike what may, some people may assume, most teachers don't leave when the day is over. That's when they're getting started or they're meeting with students to, um, you know, to help them with work or they're doing after school clubs or they're coaching sports. And so I know for me, uh, having been um, a soccer and softball coach for the for eight years, um, my second through my uh, eighth year of teaching, I can't remember now all the days are, are the years are fuzzy, um, but I was I was an athletic coach every year, assistant coach. And. I mean, I would have done that for free. I, I didn't have to get paid. The salary wasn't that great, but like I would have done it for free. I loved coaching the teams at my schools. Sports were a passion for me, connecting with kids on that level and helping them be better. It was just great to get out on the field after a long day at work. And those, what I noticed too, is those positions never came available. Once somebody was a coach, they were a coach for life. And the first week of school this year, um, I was in a school and I remember an announcement going out almost every single day that they needed coaches. And what ended up, and you, that happens sometimes. And then at the last minute, somebody will say like, yeah, I, I want to do it. There were four teams that couldn't, um, they, they couldn't field the teams. They couldn't, they couldn't have a, a competition schedule because they didn't have coaches. They had kids and nobody willing to coach. And I said to myself, I didn't talk about it with anybody, but I said to myself, that is, that's huge. I've never in 17 years of working in schools ever seen a coaching vacancy like that. And I've never, um, I, I've, I've just never seen that. And it was from multiple sports and these are paid positions that, you know, have great benefits because you do make money 
you know, year after year after year. So I just wanted to really hone in on that specific data point that it's not about, oh, good, the day's over and I'm leaving. These are people who absolutely love sports and love kids and coaching is part of them. And they've decided this year not to do it. That's a big indicator. I think, you know, a very basic struggle could be it is hard to wear a mask for seven Mm -hmm. hours a day. Yes, it is. It is hard to wear a mask for seven hours a day. It is hard to talk to kids, communicate with kids. It's, you know, just from like an emotional standpoint, it is very jarring to sort of hesitate recognizing kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I know. You can't see their whole face. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we met all of these students masked. And so just the challenge of starting the school year and trying to learn all your students' names and teachers are super resourceful. So they're going to get the class pictures, except the class pictures are from two years ago. And kids change a great deal over two years. So, you know, well, that's not helpful. And then some kids are quiet and then Mm -hmm. quiet and masked and sitting in the back of the room. And then you have a theater arts teacher who maybe wants to be able to, you know, teach how, you know, expression, facial expression. Yeah with a covered face. And then also then again, back to like, I'm not doing this job. I love this job and I love these kids and I'm not doing this job as well as I can, but there are these real barriers in the way, you know, I'm even noticing, you know, when a student says, you know, his or her name um, or their name, and it's a name I'm not familiar with and I can't see their mouth moving. I mean, how many times is it appropriate to ask a, a student, you know, for, you know, their name? And then it's, can you just, can you write it down for me? I'm kind of not catching it. There's, so there's like all of this awkwardness mm-hmm. around, you know, the, around these masks that are just beyond the fact that you can't get a good deep breath and, you know, um, and then also, you know, if you're a teacher, you know, you know, I don't know how many schools have, you know, spaces that teachers can really comfortably and easily get, you know, dedicated mask breaks and I think so the urgency to leave at the end of the school day is, you know, is like it's never been before. Yeah. And, it, and you know, and a big part of it is I just want to take this mask off. I just you know, want to take this mask off. I think you're right. I think, you know, as we move into identifying like what the challenge, the new challenges facing teachers this year are, I masks absolutely are. And, and I want to make that clear. And I think, you know, people who are new to listening to the podcast, maybe this is the first episode that you're listening to. Um, I was in the classroom this year in between leaving, uh, the principal role and doing what I'm doing now, um, which is running my own business. I, I went back to the classroom to teaching special ed because that's where my heart always was. So when I needed my heart to be healed and I wanted to do what I was passionate, most passionate about, I went back to be with kids. Um, and I did that for, uh, you know, a, a year and a half. And I absolutely, um, I can absolutely tell you that masks, it is an issue and I'm fine saying it because I'm just being, it's just being honest. Um, it's, it's exhausting. And I'm sure I know there are other professions where they, people are wearing their masks as well. Um, and, you know, to not be able to ever take it off, um, and trying to, like you said, communicate with students, you need to change your tone, how loud you're speaking, how quickly you're speaking, um, you know, to, to be able to communicate with students or with, with other people or communicate in meetings. 
um, it's physically, it, it physically can make you feel ill sometimes. And, um, uh, it's just not a nothing. <laughs> it is a something. And, um, just to acknowledge that, yes, the mask issue is different this year because last year when we were largely remote, which I will also clarify, we are all happy kids are back. It's schools without kids are depressing places. And also it is additionally challenging to be in masks all day. And I would say that it is a, uh, not an accurate representation to say that kids don't mind wearing masks. I really, the little kids, I see them a little like less frequently having to be redirected, um, to pull their masks up. But for, you know, eighth graders who are experiencing, uh, puberty and going through all of the growing that, you know, adolescents do, um, the discomfort of having this on your, your face all day is hard, um, in the crowded hallways and crowded class. It just is. I mean, we don't have to say throw it all out, but just to acknowledge that is an additional challenge for sure. It's not, it's not a nothing. And certainly it's essential. You know, mm-hmm. I feel comfortable yep. at work because we mm-hmm. are all masked, certainly. Um, but also it's a stressor, you know, it's yeah, an additional it stressor that makes the job more challenging. You know, if the job is about relationships and getting to know kids, mm-hmm. it is a hindrance when you can't see the the fullness of someone. So Especially, it's a constant yeah. barrier between, mm-hmm. you know, I worked with a student last year on Zoom and I was so excited to meet him this year. And he said that he didn't know me. Yes. And I said, no, you, you know me. And, you know, and then I just thought, this is so sad. You know, we spent all this time together and he did know me unmasked because I sat in a private office and worked with him on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then in person, you know, and then, you know, I had to tell him who I was. And I just thought that, so I just think there's an emotional component to how mm-hmm. there's, there is, it's wonderful to have the kids back. School was so sad last year with, yeah. you know, less kids in the building, very much so. But there's an additional sadness to where we are now. So sort of, it's not business as usual. We want it to be business as usual and mm-hmm. we want all of these kids back, but sort of, you know, there's teachers are going to extra lengths to try to make it feel like business as usual. And it's also exhausting. It is. So like, yes, I think that we can acknowledge, um, I, you know, I hear you say a lot, both and, and I love that, that, con- that, that clarification, because we're not talking about either or here um, in most of these uh, and most of the things that we're mentioning, it's really a both. And we're overjoyed to have kids back the energy. Um, our hearts are full and <laughs> it's exhausting to try to be the same teacher, um, to students with these additional barriers like masks. Um, I was a special ed teacher and, you know, uh, a lot of my students, some of my students had communication, um, disorders and, so you, you use more than words, right. To communicate it's facial expressions, it's smiles, it's, um, laughter. It's a lot of different things. Um, we've gotten really good at communicating, I think with our eyes and like our, our foreheads. <laughs> um, but that's, it's, it, it's, it's not enough. Um, and I, I also had that experience of, uh, working with a kid online, um, for the majority of last year. And it was so much fun. And I was so excited to see him in person this year. And when he came down, it was, I was like helping administer like a, a district assessment and he had to do a makeup. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I finally get to meet him because we weren't in the same grade level. 
And when he came in, I, I was like, I said his name so, so excited. And he looked at me like, how do you know who I am and who are you? And I was like, do you remember me? And he was like, no. And I was like, I was like, oh man. So I, pu- I actually, I pulled my mask down and smiled and he was like, oh my goodness. You know? So, I mean, you can't always do that. Um, and, uh, especially when you're in crowded hallways or classrooms and yeah, I mean, where are people oriented, kid oriented and centered, um, profession. And, uh, it is a challenge because you need to use everything at your disposal to build relationships with students in order to be effective, um, educators. So, um, you know, and you know, one thing sort of we're dancing mm -hmm. around, there's still this concern. There's still a health concern. Yeah. There's still a health concern. You know, we're not wearing masks like, well, we're just going to wear them just, you know, it's all over, but we're not, no, Mm -hmm. it's not over and we need to wear them and we still need to be mindful about distance. Although we're getting a little more comfortable as you know, everyone's getting vaccinated, Mm -hmm. but there's still, you know, there are still teachers that have unvaccinated children at home in addition to unvaccinated students, or they care for their parents and they're really very mindful of distancing and masking and which students keep pulling their masks down. So there is the health concern, you know, stressor. So it's not just, it's hard to connect. So there's a lot of both ends. It is both hard to connect and still some people are getting COVID. So you also want to be mindful. And for some teachers, it's more of a concern for different reasons than for others. Yeah. And I think two things I'll add to that is, um, you know, just, the as we're talking about um all the different decisions that we're making in a day like f- literally from the moment we walk into school um until the moment people essentially like run out of school to get fresh air um there are so many decisions i mean just uh you know a student asking me can i go sit next to so and so we had the same project we're working on for a class when i was doing my support class uh it was sort of like a resource class on any in any other um cert, uh time yes 100% please go work with that student you're get, like yes we're collaborating using all the 21st century skills that we are we worked so hard to write standards around so that we were preparing kids to be successful when they when they leave high school um, and in those moments, um, I mean, sometimes I said yes, and I probably shouldn't, I wasn't supposed to, cause we have seating charts, but like I had a huge classroom with like seven kids and I was like, yes, go sit there. But the, what had to go through my head was like, okay, am I going to get in trouble? What if somebody walks in? What if, you know, uh, God forbid one of them actually has COVID and like passes it to the other one. Now I have to say they were sitting next to each other. Like all those things go through your head. Just when one student says, can I go sit next to so-and-so and and, uh, so we can work on our project, which is the most basic question a kid can ask. It shouldn't require, you know, me or somebody else to think through so many different factors. Um, It's not a simple yes or no, even though somebody might say, well, um, there's a protocol around that. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's protocols around everything in teaching, but we're constantly, you know, making, um, decisions, quick decisions. When those quick decisions now that we make anyway have five, six, seven more considerations to them, something called decision fatigue. <laughs> um, by the, you know, by the end of the day, not even the end of the day, probably by lunch. Um, you've made so many decisions that actually have some pretty solid repercussions. Like for me, I wasn't supposed to be within six feet of a student for more than 15 minutes. Well, I'm a special ed teacher at the high school level. I had seniors and juniors. Um, 
when they are not able to move forward on an assignment, I've got to make a decision. Am I going to, am I going to break, like, how am I going to dance away from the student for a couple minutes? Then can I go back for another 15? Like, it's just the whole thing is just really, really difficult to make decisions around. And so, yeah, you're fatigued, you're exhausted um, from having to additionally make so many more decisions. And if anybody wants to, you know, challenge or question whether or not decision fatigue is real, just Google it because all the companies that you buy your stuff from will read their, read anything that their CEOs say about how they help their, um, you know, their employees or read anything about decision fatigue and you'll understand that it is, it is a real thing. The other thing I wanted to just, um, to say too was, if I can remember it, um, cause I went to decision fatigue. Oh, it's just, it, I've been thinking a lot about this in the past, uh, a couple months. And I'm sure that for years we're going to be studying this. And in 20 years, there's going to be, you know, some longitudinal, longitudinal study that studied this. But, you know, I think I know, um, and it wouldn't be a surprise that a lot of people are experiencing either primary trauma, right? From either having had COVID, maybe there are complications, having lost a loved one, to COVID or secondary trauma, right? Because, I mean, newsflash, the media wasn't exactly um, making light of the situation or hasn't been. And I'm not blaming the media, but the coverage, like I had to turn it off in week three by April last year because, or two years ago, because it was, um, it was too hard for me to watch all the coverage. Uh, so we've got people who are experiencing different levels of trauma, teachers, um, never mind the kids. Uh, and it's difficult. You know, the masks are a representation of that trauma every minute of every day, the protocols, um, the fear. And, you know, it's, it, it can't, we can't be dismissive of that because it is a real thing. And we don't even understand it yet, really, like the, the, um, the extent to which that has an impact, but it has a real impact. Um, and I may not be impacted the same way, right? I, I may not be. But I, I know what it felt like when my husband got COVID and we don't know how he got it. And he had a pretty bad case of it. And he's a really healthy person. I know how isolating and scary that was for me. Um, I may not have trauma related to that now, but that doesn't mean that other people don't. So um, that was one other thing I just wanted to, something you said, Beth, made me think of that. Um, and it's something I've been thinking about lately too, is that, you know, when teachers say we're not okay, it's such a a blanket statement for so many of the things that we're talking about from the discomfort of masks and having trouble establishing relationships with kids to decision fatigue all the way to the other side of the spectrum of trauma um, that yeah. is still, that is still going on still being triggered. Um, so when we talk about like what, what are the new challenges this year? I mean, take your pick because it could be something simple like mass, something really complicated and complex, such as trauma. Yeah. And I think also with that, you know, teachers, you know, when there was, you know, last year when most many schools were virtual or hybrid, you know, parents really needed their kids to be at school for, and mm -hmm. kids needed to be at school. And then there was just so much uncertainty on who should be at school, how many kids could be at school. Um, so, but then, you know, teachers became sort of central to this debate almost as if like, well, you know, they don't want to be at school or they don't want our kids at school. So I feel like that was a stressor 
that teachers were sort of, well, they don't want to go to work or they're, you know, so I feel like there was some trauma. Like, even if you were a virtual teacher, you Mm -hmm. were definitely, there was definitely like, you know, word, you know, word out there that you had it easier or my -hmm. kid needs to be at school. You know, at that point, it wasn't the teacher making the decision. And, you know, teaching from home, you know, 25 kids on Zoom of varying ages, Mm -hmm. you know, for all different reasons is not an easy task. No. Um, So I just thought, you know, teachers, because people were struggling with their kids at home, teachers became central, you know, centrally focused when Mm -hmm. generally, you know, that's not a job that you're sort of in the news all the time. It's kind of just go to school. So I thought, I mean, I found that I had to get off social media because I was feeling, you know, especially before the vaccines came out, you know, and I had friends say to me, well, my kid needs to be at school. And I thought you're, then you're saying to me that I need to be at school all day. Mm -hmm. That's what you're saying to me. And you don't, you don't think that because you don't, your kid doesn't go to my school district, but I just was hard not to take that personally because it was like, you're working from home and you're sending me to school. If that is, you know, well, kids just need to be at school. Well, of course they need to be at school. We all need to be at school, but you're sending me to school then like, and I'm not vaccinated. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I found, I kind of found myself sort of central to debates that I felt like I don't have a, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not in a contentious profession. I'm in a helping profession. I don't know how suddenly I'm at the center. And then just one other point to, you know, teachers having experienced trauma you know, we're very much seeing now kids who are struggling with being back at school and reconnecting mm-hmm. with friends and um, and all that we need to do for kids. So it's like things are harder and kids need more. And back to that both and, and teachers also have trauma and are having difficulty being back at school. You know, so all of the things that are true for kids are also true for the people, you know, who are caring for these kids. And it makes me think about there was neuroscience research that when uh, teachers and students are in sync, that their brain waves are literally in sync. And I thought if we're sending out, if we're sending stressed teachers mm-hmm. to school, teachers who have been through trauma mm-hmm. that's not being addressed and not being supported, like what are we doing to kids? Like the helpers need some breather so they can have more resources for kids. It, it's not great for kids if teachers are running out at 250 and are saying yeah, like, right. this year I can't check my email after school because I just, I need a break. I need a break. Well, you know, I know that I always used to answer emails outside of school because I felt like it didn't, you know, it didn't interrupt my day. I kind of liked serving the kids in that way. And I know that that, you know, the teachers don't have the bandwidth to do it. Yeah. You know, sometimes their own kids are home and doing virtual learning and they just have so much outside of school. So there's a way that because these supports aren't built in, that teachers can't even show up as effectively for kids than that they used to. And then again, alternately back to if you're a teacher, being a teacher for a lot of people, it's kind of who you are. And yeah. then it, and then, so it's not to say I'm not going to check my email after school for many is sort of, it's an uncomfortable decision. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's it's thinking like, well, if I'm going to make it through this school year, I, this is a, you know, this is a hard line I'm going to need to draw for myself. So in a way we're not serving kids the best that we can. Absolutely. And I, I can't tell you how many teachers I've coached it. Well, I, when I say I've coached, like they may not take my like, uh, advice or, um, 
they, they may not completely implement what I, you know, beg them to do. But for those who are at a point where, you know, it, I'm max, they're maxed out at the end of the day and, and they don't know how to manage the school year with the stress level they have. I, those boundaries are things I tell them to do. And, and I'm, this is somebody, I'm somebody who I'll work till 11 o'clock at night. Like my husband's always like, why aren't you normal? Why can't you just work like a normal person? And I'm like, listen, define normal first of all. But second, like, this is just, this is me. And, you know, I'm also like trying to be better because I want to walk what I talk, but, um, I will be the first person to say to a teacher, set a boundary. Don't check your email tonight. Disable the app off your phone if you feel like you can't stop yourself from checking it because you need a break. Your brain needs to rejuvenate and it's taking longer for your brain to um, let go and process all this stuff um, this year because there's so much more stuff to process. So, um, but who's sending teachers that message, right? Like I'm not, um, I don't oversee teachers anymore. If I did, I would tell them that straight out, do not answer emails. If I, if, if I email you like the next day, scold me, you know, like if I email you at night, like I would commit to teachers. I am not sending you emails after hours and also, you know, putting out of, uh, uh, out of office, uh, message on, I would coach my teachers to do that. I don't directly oversee teachers anymore. So, um, it's not something I can, you know, really tell them to do, uh, but I encourage it as, as one of the boundaries that they can set uh, for themselves. But you're right. When we, I remember when I used to have to do that as a principal for like a week at a time, I'd have to just not check email at night. And then there comes a point where you're like, well, I'm not keeping up with the little things now. Right. And then you start to feel bad about, you know, that you're not doing your job the way that you need to do your job, just like you said. So um, somebody needs to be, and this will take us into our next, uh, the next thing I'd like to talk about is it, it, the essence of your article is that it, it, this cannot fall solely on teachers' shoulders. So like they can't, you're right. They say, I'm not going to check my email and then feel terrible because they've either missed something important or haven't responded to a, a kid or a parent and now they're behind. And it's just, it, it actually makes them feel worse possibly than if they would have just checked it and then, you know, might've burnt themselves out. Teachers need help from leadership. Um, and I use leadership in a loose way because it could, school leaders can do dip, can do things to make it better. And there are things they can't do, but there are things that the district leaders can do. And then if they, if there are things that are beyond their scope, there are things that state leaders can do and must do. So let's talk about that. What are things that districts can, and I'm going to say must, you don't have to say they must, but I will. Um, if there's something I think that needs to say that, um, it won't be from you, but what are things that districts can do differently for teachers this year? Yeah. And I think that's a complicated issue because I don't think every teacher needs the same thing. That's um, very fair. Very and, fair. And, yes. And I've talked to, you know, they're like, so I think for some teachers and, you know, and again, this has to do with like how many kids they have at home mm -hmm. and age. Some yep. teachers want asynchronous meetings. It's not that they don't miss their colleagues. It's not that they mm -hmm. don't want to be with anyone, but for this year, they need to be able to leave at the end of the day yep. and not feel badly about it. And again, there are other teachers that more are, you know, you know, want, they want the meetings. They yep. want to be with their colleagues. And I understand that, but I'm thinking if we're burning out a whole other, you know, population, um, can there be some choice? Can there be mm -hmm. no guilt if you're the someone who needs the asynchronous mm. meeting 
or you'll do the synchronous meeting, you know, and you'll listen in your car on your way home, or there's an option. We're going to gather like kind of like what I feel. I really feel very much like, can we do for teachers what we do for kids? Differentiation and choice. (laughs) So we have this super important information. If you're, if you're feeling like you need the social connection, you know, we'll see you in where we gather for meetings. If you're feeling like you are so overburdened at home, this is your asynchronous option, or this is your, we really need everyone together. Can you just please zoom in? And in a way that you don't have to ask permission, it's just, you've been in a mask all day in order to do your job, you know, 80% as well as you did it in a normal year. We're going to just build this in for everyone Um, and differentiation and choice. So I feel like meetings after school commitments, uh, you know, yeah, there, there needs to be some flexibility love without guilt without guilt and really also you know to speak to the people that want to be together if you want to be together and you need to be with your colleagues then you know let's create that space also but yeah there's no guilt for what right. you need this year that, to be that's so service easy kids. yes yeah that Beth, like that that is such an easy that that requires literally that might require um a a school principal okay to set up an extra zoom link potentially um and like a, a way for teachers to sign in that that's it like that that's literally all it would take um yeah and if to you know that. and again not to burden leaders you could say you know what and we're going to record the meeting Mm-hmm. For people that can't make it, yeah, no guilt. But if you're one of the nine people that needed to do it asynchronously, you know, I don't think it's um, insulting to say I need you to write eight sentences because this is required that all of our teachers are informed about harassment, intimidation, and bullying. Yeah, maybe some way so, of assessing that they just just for lots of reasons, right? Sometimes things are really important to get across, and you know, they yes, yes, fair, you know, just again, fair. assuming yep. assuming that everyone is doing the best that they can. Yep. You yep. know, if an educational leader is saying, "I need to know all my teachers got that information," so yep. fair, and again, not to overburden the educational leader, but yep. just create a space for yeah. and and to and without guilt. Yes. Without that you're not doing a yep. worse job because you took it asynchronously. And and without having to prove that your situation is so um, dire at home or somewhere that you have, sometimes you just need to do it. You know, like you don't have to, you might want to attend in person or intend to attend in person most of the time. And there may just be some times where you need to, you need to do it, um, you know, as you're uh, through Zoom or asynchronously. And like you said, this may actually not even necessarily have to be a pandemic uh, so, a year solution, um, but I like the differentiation what we do for kids, we do for adults. Um, per, you know, and I just want to and, say too, mm-hmm. the decision fatigue piece, I, I mean, I have a lot of teachers who have lengthy conversations with me, so I can't attend today's meeting. So what do you think I should do? Should I take a half day? Should I? Yes. I, and I mean, talk about decision fatigue. It's sort <laughs> of, it's, you know, we could be talking about, something so much more productive, but there's a lot of energy because these, you know, are hardworking people who care, who want to do yeah. the right thing. And they're balancing their personal, like, is this personal need? Does this justify me taking a half day or asking mm-hmm. for a favor? And it's, it just feels like such a, you know, an unproductive conversation to yeah. be having. Then just say, how about you're a 
hardworking professional and just choose one of these options, Mm -hmm. do your due diligence, Mm -hmm. and nobody is going to think badly of you because thank you for teaching during a pandemic Mm -hmm. to the best of your ability. Absolutely. And and that's it. Beginning and period. And then let's like, let's talk about, let's talk about curriculum and instruction and ways we can support kids. Not about, you know, how am I going to manage that meeting from three to four? Because today I, today I just really feel exhausted. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Well said. Um, What else can, uh, can districts do differently? You know, one thing that I think is like when people collaborate, Mm-hmm. It really won, you know, we, we, you know, teachers like students, you know, kind of are starving for that social connection and interaction and, you know, kids want to be together and teachers want to be together. So, you know, planning time, you know, and, you know, and, and maybe it's, and again, this also, I know we, you know, we have, you know, there's a shortage problem with substitutes. Mm-hmm. So what that sort of you know, becomes a larger issue of like, well, we can't give teachers release time or planning time or, but I think teachers working with their colleagues, one would not only, you know, increase outcomes for student and accelerate learning because when teachers work together, they come up with amazing ideas. It also lightens the load. It lightens the burden. So if you get that time with colleagues, one, you plan better material, two, you've gotten a little bit of a breather and three, the kids benefit. So yeah. I feel like that is worth, that is worthy of some kind of restructuring. And again, then you need, I guess, buy-in from the community to say, you know, during this extraordinary year, you know, and, and, you know, I feel like that's worth some reconfiguring because I feel like, cause I mean, the planning, you know, is so burdensome. So if teachers could partner together, it benefits everyone. And I think that would be, a, you know, a, a nice support. For teachers to get planning time with other yeah, teachers for this absolutely. year in particular. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say always. Yes, always. <laughs> always, always teachers working together, mm-hmm. you know, is a win-win. Absolutely. What else? Um, I do think there should be a bank of sick days for teachers that they shouldn't have to apologize for or ask for you know, whether you need it to recover from your vaccination or you need it just, I mean, I know teachers are taking sick days to write college recommendation letters. Mm -hmm. Teachers are taking sick days to do their planning or to get their grading done. Um, You know, maybe that's, that's sort of, you know, a burden of our profession and that's what teachers have historically done, but not this year. It it feels like not this year. There should be some, there, there is some, you know, I'm also hearing teachers saying, like, I don't think this is the profession for me. This mm. is not the profession for me. And I'm just thinking, oh, so sad. this isn't the year. This isn't yeah. the year to decide. I know. This I know. isn't the year to think about it. But people are starting to kind of reassess. Oh, they are. I their know. lives. You know, their lives. And, you know, can we build in structures? Like, I just feel like you don't want new teachers to feel like, wow, this job is way too much. Mm-hmm. you know, to make that decision early in their career. And also we're losing expert teachers who are just, you know, I, there were teachers last year that just said, and I thought some of them were kidding. Like <laughs> they said, I'm going to do whatever I can to figure out if I can retire after this year. And I thought, not that person. That's like kind of a relatively young person. And that person retired. So people looked for their exit strategy 
So mm-hmm. I just feel like you want to look at teacher wellness, look at attrition rates, you know, since the oh, pandemic yeah. began. And that's the direction we're moving. Just because teachers can come to work and do a pretty decent job doesn't mean it's not taking a personal toll on people. And we just, we don't want to lose anybody. So I, I feel like it's more urgent than, you know, I feel like I've also seen on social media because teachers are saying, you know, things that are hard. And I've seen people comment, like, you get summers off. Yeah. And it's just like, well, that, you know, well, that's not going to help us with our, you know, with what's happening during the school year. No, it's not. And, you know, that's such a, and I, and I, listen, I've been, I was a principal for, uh, assistant principal and principal for nine years total. And did I have, did I have teachers in my buildings who I thought shouldn't be teachers? Yeah. That was like 1% of the overall people. Um, we don't have, you know, scores of teachers that shouldn't be teaching. Um, we don't have scores of teachers who are ineffective. We have some teachers who may not be as committed to the profession as the vast majority of, of teachers. And, you know, sometimes that's, those are for reasons that we don't know and that are completely valid, right? Like sometimes, like, like not just in a COVID year, but other years as well, um, you know, uh, somebody has a child with special needs, right? And they need to be able to, and it takes up all their emotional energy sometimes or uh, a, an, an, uh, an ill parent or just circumstances, right? That, you know, we don't have to know everything about somebody's life. We don't, that's not our business. Um, the vast majority of teachers who I have worked with care deeply about their work and they care deeply about their kids and they go above and beyond every single day. The whole, you have summers off, like, um, is such an old, uh, just like we need to retire that because first of all, I don't really know many teachers that take the summer off. I did the first time I ever took a summer off was this past year. Um, and I'm 41 years old. I never, ever, ever had a summer off. I worked like five jobs in the summer. Um, because salary was too low for me to be able to afford, you know, yeah, my and, condo that's a or truth. A home. and that's a great truth for so many teachers. It is. And also, um, you know, you think about it every day is a sprint and you can't sprint every single day of the, of the year. Right. Whereas other jobs might are maybe more of like a marathon where you, you have, you know, some pretty light training days and maybe one, longer training run, you know, once a week, we're preparing for a marathon by running, you know, our 17 mile day every day. And, um, so you can't really compare the teaching profession to other professions, um, and say, but you have the summers off because what you're doing when you don't have the summers off, especially right now, um, is something that just can't be sustained. And we know that because like you said, the attrition rates um, and, you know, what's being indicated in formal surveys and studies, never mind. I mean, <laughs> Twitter, I have such a love hate relationship, Actually, it's <laughs> mostly a hate relationship. However, I will say that lately um, Twitter has been a go-to for me just to check on like a litmus test. How are teachers doing? I can tell you <laughs> like not that great, right? They're, they're, they're struggling. Um, and a lot of it's not complaining. A lot of it is just honest. Like I love my kids. I love teaching and I'm also really struggling. Um, that's what I'm seeing mo- like for the most part, uh, on social media, but I've never seen it in this way before. Um, and so 
you know, we, we've talked about, and I, in between when I talked to you on the phone last week and recording this week, um, just for everybody listening, this is, uh, we're recording on Sunday. This episode will drop in two days on Tuesday morning. Um, I have probably read three articles just this week on the great resignation, right? And it's something that when I see it, you know, I, I get sad because a teaching is a profession of the heart. And there's always been um, a statistic that teachers leave, like a third of them leave in the first three years. Um, and that's an old, old, old statistics statistic, with, which led to increased mentoring, right, for new teachers. And still some left, yes, but um, we put way more, uh, a lot more resources into supporting and coaching um, first, second, and third year teachers. But to hear that, you know, 40% have left the profession and another 24% want to, but won't like, aren't, won't do it right now. And like another 14% wish that they were, that, that they would just, you know, the hole would, sw- the ground would just swallow them up. I mean, this is, they want, and, and by the way, they're leaving out leaders, school principals, um, because the numbers are very similar. Um, we can't lose, we, we can't afford to have the great resignation happening in education because guess what? The customer base doesn't change school is, um, mandatory. Like it's man, it's compulsory attendance laws in every single state. Kids must attend school. So if kids must attend school, which of course they must, then we must have teachers and, um, we can't afford to have the resignations that are happening. And I think Beth, you know, we talked about last week, like, um, you hear a lot on the radio, uh, Oh, you know what? No, I'm sorry. I was talking with a teacher friend. Um, you hear a lot on the radio, like, oh, uh, as, as people return to work, that's the best one because it's like, wait, people are just returning to work now. Um, not that that's not, that's not a knock on them, but it's kind of sometimes really odd to hear that when you're like driving into, into school. Um, but also you hear, uh, you know, um, companies are really rethinking, what does it look like to, um, what does the workplace look like? Right. Now's a great time to rethink you know, all the things, should it be remote? Should it be this? Should it be that? What's best for the employee? And I say to myself, where's that conversation in education? And if there hasn't been room for it because we've been, you know, reactive because we've had to be, well, that's, that's the next step. Like urgently is to make room for that conversation because we can't afford to have everybody saying, I'm going to do something else because they value my personal, they, they value me and how I'm doing. So I'll say it. (laughs) Yeah. And there's been a lot of been, there's a lot of wonderful things that have been written about reimagining schools Mm -hmm. that are not impossible. Right. There are a lot of things that are possible. Um, so, and I think when, you know, when you think of another solution, I also think that what, teachers need in particular districts is different. Yes. So just getting feedback from teachers, what do you need? And, and then making the decision from there. Cause I certainly don't know what every teacher needs across the country, but the teachers know what they need. And then to build that in, I feel like right now, if we could, you know, again, I like that you said we're being reactive. So maybe we can prioritize wellness and retention mm-hmm. for teachers sort of, and how do we build that in? And we can't reimagine schools now because right. we just, we have to 
we have to teach kids right yes, now. That's course. what we have to do. The yep. best that we can. Yep. So maybe while we're in this, you know, let's try to teach kids the best we can during these extraordinary circumstances. Mm -hmm. What can we do to support teachers right now so they can best serve their students? And then when we can get our breath back, you know, and take our yep. masks off, mm -hmm. then we can take, you know, a harder look at schools and how we can improve things. It just, it feels like this is a very joyful profession. It is. It's such a joyful profession. And, you know, I have been, I mean, I think I cried so often last year when teachers were virtual, just the lengths that they mm -hmm. went to was so moving and so staggering. Mm -hmm. And I was so proud to be in this profession. Um, and I still am so proud yes. to be in this profession. And I just, you know, I feel you know, I feel like I want to be of service to teachers and to students because I feel so strongly about how joyful this profession is. And yeah. I, you know, I loved being a teacher from the moment I decided that I wanted to be a teacher. Same, same. Uh, like I said, you know, I used to say it when I was a principal, like on my worst days, uh, and there were a lot of them because it's a hard job. No, but like on my worst days, I, might, I just, I missed the classroom so much. I really miss, I missed teaching. I missed the kids. Um, I missed the connection, uh, you know, really everything about it, but also I was allowed, I had autonomy, a lot of autonomy. Um, and I was able to do what teachers do, which is form connections and teach content, right. And help them learn, um, and, and continue to help them improve. I think, um, you know, before we, before we, uh, wrap up a couple of things that since we're talking about like what districts can do, um, over the past couple of weeks, um, I've become aware of some things that uh, districts are doing and, you know, I've been pretty vocal about there needing to be bold moves. And when I say bold, I say bold because these might not sound too bold, but like if you have to understand the political landscape of education um, and because it is and also how difficult and how many people have to say yes to something or, you know, how one decision for a superintendent could tank their career, because that's the truth. Um, and it's true for principals too. And teachers feel like it's true for them. Um, and you know, that fear is a tough, is a difficult place to make decisions from. However, I will say, um, there's a district in Rhode Island. Uh, it's a charter school district. I just, um, became aware of it over the weekend. Um, but they actually, we had, so veterans day was Thursday, that day was off. And then, they reconfigured their, uh, I don't think I'm not, I don't know all the details, but I don't know if they asked for like volunteers or parents or just staff that, um, that support staff that didn't need the day. I don't remember. I don't know exactly how they did it, but they gave teachers a four day weekend. So instead of coming back to school on Friday and then having the weekend, um, they just, they made it a four day weekend. And that may not seem like a lot, but that's a pretty bold move. Um, because that would, that would, that would take a lot of reconfiguring of resources to be able to give every single teacher, uh, a non-teaching day on, on, on a, on a school day, because they still had to provide, you know, childcare for parents that work. Um, they didn't want to overburden parents and they did it. They made it, they made it happen. Um, another one that I, uh, have become aware of is, um, a superintendent. I wish I. It's in the Midwest, I believe, or in the South. Oh, this is bad. I can't remember uh, where she is, but she um, 
she actually wrote a letter to her whole entire community um, saying she made the decision that um, Thanksgiving break, the traditionally is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is a full week. And she, she changed it and said the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are now no school days and they have a full week off. And she was very clear in her message uh, to the school community that, you know, everybody, but especially teachers, it's become very clear that they need time. Um, they need time to, and she said, I don't care what you do with your time, you know, sleep, reconnect with your family, um, do something for your, whatever you do, go away, you know, just do something. Um, but this is what we're doing because this is what's needed and we're going to do what's needed. Um, that's okay, bold. Teachers are good for kids. I think she might've said that actually. Um, but, but yes, I mean, that, that's a bold move, but these are things that people are doing. So if you're listening right now and you're in a position to make decisions, there are two examples, go look them up. Um, other people are doing things, but those are two things. When you give teachers, when you, if you ask teachers, if they want money, time or anything else, usually they're going to say, we want time. We need time back because then they can decide what they're doing with that time. Um, and what they need to do with it. So those are just a couple of other examples, um, Beth, that since you and I, you know, talked that I've, uh, you know, become aware of, and I wanted to make sure that on this episode, as we're talking about this, go ahead. Yeah. Since you and I talked Mm -hmm. and and I don't know, I mean, you have a different vantage point from, you know, having been a principal Mm -hmm. and I guess I have a lot of compassion for educational leaders who I know, you know, are working so hard. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of wondering, and I don't know if this is the case, if sometimes the teacher's contract gets in the way of leaders being able to do things for teachers. So this is just, I was kind of throwing this out there, like, Mm -hmm. can we add an addendum to the teacher's contract that says, due to extraordinary circumstances, the following will be implemented this year to support the health and well-being of teachers. And these accommodations will cease when circumstances return to normal. Like, almost like, (laughs) Does the district need reassurance yeah, or do that. people need reassurance? Like we're going to do these things, but we really don't want to be in contract negotiations in three years <laughs> and having people kind of say like, we're, we're going to continue. This is past precedent. Like right. if that's a concern and I don't know that it is, but I just, I'm trying to think of like, what is the thing that could be getting in the way? Mm-hmm. And if that's getting in the way, like, can we kind of like say, we're going to do these things, but we really don't want this to kind of complicate you know, conversations going forward, we just need to try to act in the now. And what can we do that? You know, what can we do? And I guess I don't know, but I get, you know, I'm just keep thinking about, you know, what can we do that, you know, or what is the concern, you know, about doing these things? And I guess I don't, that is something I just don't know. I I can say that, you know, that's difficult for me to um, identify with because I would, that would be the last as a that would be the last thing I worried about. But be, but also, I had a, a a pretty strong culture of trust with my faculty. So like I was in a um one of the first place I was principal for four years. It was a, a multi high school, multi multi school, large district. Um, and then I was uh, head of school at a very small uh, one high school district. Um, and I will say that I took autonomy when it came to making decisions that would help my teachers. Um, but I can also understand where there might not be a culture of trust um, between leaders and teachers uh, in other places. Um, I also can understand where there might be a lack of trust between district 
level leaders and school leaders, but I'll all our district level leaders and teachers. But what I'll, I'll, what I'll say is that, you know, we should never be um, apologizing for doing what's best for the people that we're serving. Um, and so that's number one. So if that means it's being bold, well, please be bold um, and don't apologize and don't worry about all that stuff right now. Just do the right thing. Cause when you do the right thing by people, you don't really need to worry about that stuff. Um, but if you feel like you are talk to your legal, you know, legal counsel and figure out what the wording needs to be, um, or talk to your union president, because I would imagine that your union president wants for their teachers, the same thing that you want in trying to help them, which is to relieve some of the stress and do something that's going to help them be better. Again, when teachers feel better, they're better for kids and kids are, kids are who we serve. We also do serve our employees, which are teachers and, and staff members. So, um, Beth, I, I want to thank you so much for the article that you wrote, uh, because I know that that must have taken a lot of courage, um, especially getting it out there so early in the school year. What I have found is since your article was published, I now am seeing more and more articles published. So I want to thank you for being bold and um, taking, you know, taking a risk, I, taking a risk and putting your uh, your thoughts out there in such a constructive way, um, being, you know, honest and uh, constructive and productive at the same time. I think that you have paved the way for this conversation at many levels. I think you've paved the way for more people to put into writing on um, what they are seeing and what they recommend. And these are teachers, these are, you know, uh, Stanford uh, professors, these are researchers. I think that um, you've really paved the way for this conversation to start and then to move into action. So Beth, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Michaela. All right. Take care. I really want to extend my deepest gratitude to Beth one last time for not only writing the article that she wrote, but for agreeing to come on the podcast and kick off this incredibly important season. You have a lot to look forward to. Uh, next week's recording will feature a superintendent from Mississippi who is leading, I would say boldly, but from his heart. And I can't wait for you to hear how he's supporting his own staff. A lot of it um, is really what Beth identified as needs. So I'm excited for you to hear that for the needs that teachers have, there are people out there who are doing it. Um, and so I'm excited for that. Thank you for listening. As always, you can reach out to me, Michaela at drkeganyadley.com or dissectedpodcastmkj.com. We'll see you next week. Take care.